It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The fun forever It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, February 3rd, and you're listening to episode 401. Today, I am joined by my friend, John Gilmore. Hey, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. It's been, uh, it's been, uh, I think like a hundred or more episodes since you've been on. Is this just the second time or is this the third time on? I can't remember. I feel like it's, I was, I was actually debating that earlier too. I know you've been on once before. I feel like maybe twice though. I think twice. I, 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 there was... Yeah, I think there was a time you were on with Rob and I, and mm-hmm. a time you were on with just me. Yes, I believe so, that's true. Yeah. Yep, that's what I remember. And so, we've known each other um, for quite a while now. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, it helps that we're in the same, yeah, it's, it's, same-ish area. Yeah, yeah, same time zone, right? Yeah. Everyone else I deal with, I feel like, in board games is like central or, or earlier, so it gets confusing. Because everybody assumes I'm central because I live in West Michigan, yeah. which by all rights should be central but we're not Um, yeah same with ohio like they think that we should be on the same time zone right yep yep no i constantly have to remind people like no i'm eastern just like you because like i thought you meant central i'm like but you're in eastern (laughs) why would you assume central never assume central with time zones (laughs) right no, we saw each other not too long ago, though. I uh, I came down to your place, and uh, you had a playtest Saturday. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I need to do that again. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, Gray and I loved coming down for that, and he he said for sure too he'd be he'd be in the car with me if you did another one. So it was it was super productive. Oh yeah, for all of us, it was really really helpful. So I enjoyed it. You uh. You uh, playing anything cool of late? Any anything new? Oh, let me think. Um, I just played Imperial of Spells and Steam, um, which is from Level ninety nine games. It's a it's a train oh, cool. game, but they like stripped out the economy, and it's really interesting. Interesting. Um, but it's it's chunky and heavy enough. Like I, I really like it because it takes a different approach to train games. Um, outside of that, oh, uh, so we're doing a weekly live stream on Infectious Play of the King's Dilemma. Yeah, so uh, and I, I think we're doing something really fun on the stream. Um, so it's essentially you you play a bunch of different families that the king consults with and you're you're essentially like the small uh uh, what is it the small council for the king where you're helping make the decisions and Mm -hmm. the every round is just read an event card and then vote on it and that's the entirety of the game but it has so much depth um and it tells such an incredible story because like all the event cards, like you start by opening just one packet and putting three event cards into the deck. And then as you make different decisions, different packets get opened up and added to that deck. So you're like wa- working your way through different storylines. Wow. Um, and it, it's, got a, it's got a ton of tension. It's a very elegant game. And I think it's probably the best new game I played last year. Um, but what I, th- I think what awesome. I think we're interested in is on Infectious Play, we're doing it where the audience is playing one of the characters. I saw that. What a clever idea. 
Yeah, so um, I'm I'm the leader of House Snacks and Violence, which is the the audience run group. And whenever uh, a card comes up, I pull the audience on how to vote for it. So they get to make all the decisions. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I've I've seen a couple of those come up, and I haven't. I've never. I've always like had a meeting or something, and I haven't been able to play along, but. Um, it looks really interesting. I, I love the streaming that you all are doing uh, with the uh, infectious play stuff. It's it's a great idea. Um, I know you do several different things. You do your coffee and contemplation yep. time. So uh, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a nice break up to the week to help you know get your mind off the designs and stuff and and break up right. know, everything that we're doing. Oh, that makes sense for sure. I mean, you're uh, you know you're designing constantly, so being able to take a break and and yeah. You know, that's, that's a great thing to be able to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, uh, I asked you to join the show today, um, because I was actually listening to, uh, I only caught a few minutes of it, but you were on one of your live streams recently. You were, um, you were talking about, um, kind of the fail faster mentality of, you know, how, you all iterate really quick on games, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and when when I was down in your office, you were kind of showing me around about all the tools you have in place to do that, and and so I, I copied some of your ideas for that. Like that was the easy thing, right? <laughs> like having things ready to go so that like making components is easy and stuff like that, right? Like that was those are those are easy tips and tricks that you can just take and start using. So like I reorganized all my game design stuff to make that more accessible and easier for needing stuff. Oh, wow. You know, when I need something that I can just do it. So, That's really cool. so thanks for that. Yeah, first of all, absolutely. <laughs> that helped a lot. Um, but you know, list the one thing that I, uh, I saw, so I'm working on a game right now with, uh, with Isaac, uh, Shalev and, uh, you know, we were working on it. He's like, here's a bunch of ideas for this game. And he was like, Hey, could you, um, he was like, do you want to just, just give it a test in this format. And I was like, sure. Um, and I started talking about the rules and he's like, Oh, don't write the rules. Just, just do a, do a, you know, play a few rounds and see what it's like. And, um, and I literally, my brain was like, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, because like, <laughs> I don't, so to be clear, like I don't write the full rules to a game. Right. But I, I struggle as a designer with the ability to test a core mechanic to see how it feels um, without getting too lost in some of the details, right? Um, to say like, is this piece fun? And if, now that said, if like, let's say it's a trick taker, right? Because um, I, I do like my trick taking games. So yeah. if I've got like a unique idea for that, I know how to just test that portion, right? <clears throat> and then add things into it. But when we're talking about a bigger, more complex game, um, which I've been working on this idea with Neil that's it's bigger, it's more complex. And, and the issue we keep running into is I don't know how to sit down and test portions of this without dumping so much time into getting it to where I feel like I can make a realistic prototype. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, even then I get, I get kind of tempted into, making you know more and more decisions ahead of time and putting more and more thought into things and then you do a big play test and you're like oh gosh a bunch of this is bad i need to fix all of these things and now i've wasted hours and hours of game design time that frankly could have been spent on something better uh or a better version of that same game um and 
I believe, I mean, now hopefully you're not going to say, no, I, I have the same problem because then we can just be like, all right, and good night. Um, <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> right. But uh, I believe you, you are good at working around that. Um, and so I would love to chat about that. Yeah. So, um, it, it's, it's something that's taken me a long time to kind of get over. Um, because so, so oddly when I was working on dead of winter, which the other day I realized, like, I, I think when I was looking up on BGG, I've been designing games for like 10 years, which seems weird. Um, <laughs> a whole decade. <laughs> right. It's a long time. Um, but like Dead of Winter started out as just a combat mechanic and nothing else. Oh wow, wow. Okay, yeah, that's that's crazy. And, but I then went from the combat mechanic to spending a month doing everything, including writing all the rules, like full rules document. I made everything before testing it again. Um, and then when I tested it again, like it just it fell apart. And that, to me, that, like, was one of the first steps to learning that, like, that's not a good process for me. Um, right, and, right. And sometimes now I take it to the other the other extreme where, you know, I'll do things like test just a combat mechanic or test something else. Um, but you need playtesters that will accommodate that. Um Right, right. Because like I, I've brought games to our prototype night that like don't have an end goal, and I'm like, well, this is just like right. this is just like see if walking around this map and like doing these things is fun. And they're like, well, we don't know why we're doing them. And I'm like, well, just pretend like you need to collect points. There's victory <laughs> points somewhere. Um, and that that's a real hurdle for a lot of players, and it's it's a hurdle for designers too because. I think as gamers, we're we tend to be very goal oriented, and without having all those bits right. in place, like I was just talking somebody through this the other week that is in the, the they're deep in the brain craft stages of their project, um, and brain craft is a thing that a YouTuber Zay Frank um, talks about in one of his videos. Um, and it's it's a thing that humans love, and it's it's amazing because when you start to think about it, we do. And uh, he he calls Braincrat that like delicious idea in your head that you just think about forever. Yes, yes, that sounds like my life. Yeah, and the longer we think about the game in our head, the harder it gets the harder it's going to be to make the physical thing that we create as good as that idealized thing in our head. Oh, wait, Kate. So let's pause there for a second, because what you just said is, is that's quite epic. What you just said. So say, can you say that again? Cause I already like, like it's already seeping out of my brain now. Yeah. So the longer we spend thinking about a thing that we want to create, the harder it is to make the physical thing we create as good as that as the idealized version in our brain is. Yeah, you I mean you just described how I feel about game design eighty percent of the time. It's how we all feel, right? Well, it's just good to hear someone else say that. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, because I, you know, that's one of my, I, I'm an idea. Like I can come up, I mean, we've worked together. Yeah. I'm, I'm really good at coming up with cool, crazy ideas. Um, but that I put them into practice and I'm like, why does this not feel like I thought it would feel? Why does this not? Um, and I, I, so I, and I've talked about this on the show before I have OCD. So like when I get into an idea, like I get into an idea, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like I, the brain crack thing is a real good, I mean, I'll, I'll sit down and write the whole rule set for like a game. That's going to be like Euro, like big. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like, it's unplayable Yeah, <laughs> because I'm like, in, and I, and I won't say that that will that wasn't a complete waste of time, right? Oh, I no. think as designers we can agree that you're always getting nuggets out of that, right? And, um, and it, you know, it's usually scaling back. Like, what didn't work? And I feel like right? I've I've made myself a very bad rules writer because of the way that I design. Fair enough. See, and I've slowly gotten to be a better rules writer because yeah. of the way I design. Exactly. So I, I think there's value in it, but I mean. I think a really good example for me uh, in a very short cycle was uh, a few years back, I I dreamed a game. And it, it's happened a few times where I've had dreams about games. But, like, this was a super, super vivid dream where, like, I woke up and I knew every rule of this game. I knew what all the components were. Wow. I knew all the values. And I spent, like, the next three hours just putting that game together. And I played it, and it was it was garbage. It's one of the few games that I've just thrown away after the first play test. Um, Man, I really thought you could be like, and that game was, and it was <laughs> going to be some like successful game you designed. No, but like, I I had this idealized version of it in my head that w- that worked right. And the reality is never that good. Um, yeah, and and yeah. there's nothing we can do to make it that good, unfortunately. Um, and every time we make a prototype that isn't as good as the thing in our head, it's it's ripping off a stab and it hurts. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It doesn't matter how jaded we get. Um, it still really sucks when that thing that you think is going to be good has failed. Um, so the more I do it, though, the easier it gets for me that like healing cycle and I'm less invested in it. Like that game failed and I just didn't care. Right, um, right. Because I didn't spend a lot of time in that in, in my head. Like it was this fully formed idealized thing that wasn't as good as it should have been, but I didn't care. But like I, I have, I'll never work on the very first game that I designed um, again because I spent so much time thinking about it. And I, I just know I can't right, make it that right. good. Um, right. So yeah, I mean that's that's one of the first hurdles is just knowing that and like accepting the fact that like brain crash is really addicting and we have to break that habit. Right. Right. And I, you know, I um, so I do like this leadership coaching and stuff as my primary job. And mm-hmm. one of the things we talk about, like, have you ever done a strengths finder test? A what? A strengths finder test. Mm-mm. Okay, so, um, which is cool. A lot of people haven't, but basically there's 34 attributes and it's going to rate those attributes for, for every person who takes the test from one to 34, one being the thing you're best at uh, or strongest at, mm-hmm. uh, 34 being the thing you're worst at, right? Oh, okay. Um, and for me, the number one thing that I'm best at is ideation, mm-hmm. uh, which means I get energy from ideas, right? Which is basically, I get energy from 
brain crack. Yeah. <laughs> to put it in the terms you're using, right? Yeah. So I think that that can really, that's dangerous, right? And I, But I think a lot of creatives uh, in general were like that, right? Because we get that new idea and it's like, I would liken it to like an earworm song, right? Mm-hmm. And it's stuck in your brain and it just won't leave until you put it on paper. Yeah. But but you're right. Gosh, the longer it's in there, it gets sweeter and sweeter. Right. But I like to think about it as like, well, I'm trying to figure it out so that when I put it on paper, it will be more well formed. But but you're not. But you're right. Like, and it's yeah. Well, and it is more. I think it is more well formed. But that's not necessarily a good thing, right? Right. Because the other thing is, you know, we talk about you know not being afraid to trash your favorite idea. Mm-hmm. When that game becomes so idealized in your brain. It's hard. You're more attached to it, right? Yeah. Um, if I write the whole rule set for a game, I'm going to be attached to those rules way more than if I just say, oh, let's just try this and see what happens, right? Exactly. Like You don't want to rewrite those rules, and like they should have been right, and it's it's probably the player's fault that the game's not working correctly this time, and it's not my fault. I always assume it's the player's fault. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I usually assume it's my fault specifically, even if I'm co-designing. But <laughs> but but in our head, the people playing it are us, and they're playing it exactly the way we intended right. them to play it. Right, right, right. And I think that's the danger, right? Is like I like like very specific like micro strategies mm-hmm. in games, but most people are like that's stupid. Like that sounds really boring to me. Um, so when they don't get that, I'm like, why don't they see this? Like you could be doing this because you see the connections between these things. And they're like, I don't get it. Um, and, and you realize, well, okay, they don't think the way I think. And that's why don't all the players think like I think, because they would love this game, even though it's not good. (laughs) There are, there is, there isn't a right way or a wrong way to design. Um, Right. A few years back at uh, Board Game Base Camp, I played uh, a prototype that I was working on with Eric Lang, and he was like, I don't understand how you design. Like, it just didn't make <laughs> any sense to him. Um, because, like, most designers will start with the whole thing and then start chiseling it down. Like, they're starting with a block of marble and trying to find the statue. And right. when I design now, I like I start with a skeleton and build up. And that that just doesn't okay, make sense yeah. to a lot of people. But for me, I found like I have a really hard time taking stuff out of my games. So if I don't ever even get to that point of having to take stuff out, it save right. it, it, it eliminates that hard decisions. Like I, I feel like it's a lazier and smart. smarter way to design. Um, right. and, and if I can do smart and lazy, that's even better. Right, right. Smart and lazy is, is energy efficient is what that exactly. is. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, it's been, it's been a journey. Um, and it's a thing that I'm still learning about. And, I, and, and I, I'd like to talk about a couple other videos that really influenced me. And one of them just, yes, please, just please like do. this other week. And I'll send you links to everything. If you remind me, so you can put them in the show notes. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I want to watch them myself, too. So that'd be great. Yeah, so a couple years ago, I watched one um, called How... What is it? How a Writer Becomes a Professional. Or something something to that line. Um, and it's entirely... And, and I think it's neat, because I find a lot of inspiration in other creative mediums. Um, right, and, th- right, and this one's sure. specifically about a writer 
Um, but they're talking about becoming a professional, which is I, I, uh, some designers. That's their goal. Like, and and I was struggling with like, I'm doing this full time now, and I don't know how to do this full time um, because it's a different yeah, it's a different yeah. hustle for sure. Um, but the entire point of that video is talking about like people who wait for the muse to strike and write amazing things. Or people who like sit down every day and write like five pages every day. And the the part that really impacted me was they showed a like thirty second long snippet of a panel at a convention with Stephen King and George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. And George R. R. Martin just looked at Stephen King and he's like, "How the f do you do it?" And Stephen was like, every day I sit down and I write X words. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what it takes sometimes is like whether they're good words or bad words um, or, it, you know, if I'm making uh, card abilities, like I'll just start with a blank spreadsheet and just put in whatever. They can be garbage. Yes, yep. But if I sit there and like try to figure out the best ones or worry if each one's good or bad, I'm not going to get that done. So, I agree. Yep. So like just sitting there and forcing myself to do the work is another uh, like hurdle that I learned to overcome. And if I do that and just make 50 cards or, or you know, if I'm making a game that has like, you know, whatever, a hundred card deck, I may only make five cards and duplicate them 20 times because there's no mm-hmm. point in me making all the rest of them yet. And they, they don't all have to be right, there. Right. Um, and another one that I just watched, and I'm trying, to, I'm still trying to processing how to incorporate it, um, is from a graphic artist who talked about, uh, or you know, a regular uh, artist artist um, who talked about his goal for this year is to do everything seventy percent. He's like, I'm, mm, I'm not going okay. to do a single thing I do this year one hundred percent. He's like, I'm, I'm going to only do 70% and do more things. And, and I think that's another thing that I think right, is really right. interesting. Like, I don't think you have to do things to 100%. And you definitely don't early on in the process. Yeah, I know um, John Acuff, this uh, speaker that I listen to from time to time, talks. He, he has this book that's called Finish, and it's about how to get, how to actually take a project you've started and finish it. And as creatives, we know that that can be hard, mm-hmm. right? It can be very easy to, when you're working on 10 or 20 different design projects, it, it can be easier to let some of them go, right? Because other things will grab our attention. Yeah. And so he said, the best thing to do when you want to make a goal that you're going to achieve is take your goal, put it out there and cut it in half. Mm-hmm. And he said, and when you do that, you'll achieve the goal almost every time because you've now cut the goal what you thought you were capable of you said i'm only going to do half that which is probably actually what you're capable of doing (laughs) in the time you've allotted because we're as humans we're really bad at predicting how long things will take us um it's just something we're bad at estimating time is incredibly difficult that's my weakness like that's the thing i'm worst at well the good news is so is pretty much (laughs) everyone i've ever worked with in business so um uh, because we just we don't think about when we 
we we tend to like we'll say okay how long should this project take and then we we kind of map it on our heads okay if it was perfect it would do this uh, but it's not perfect so I'm gonna throw in an extra twenty percent of slush time but we need like fifty to sixty percent of slush time mm-hmm. um, you know and uh, yeah I mean it's like that is working with with people that's one of the main things I see people having problems with um, is not being able to accurately estimate their time and these are like professional professionals who've been doing stuff, you know, for years and, and they just, they just struggle with it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so we're all in good company with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, those are, those are kind of the three big things that have helped form that philosophy. And then, I mean, learning about awesome, learning about the fail faster philosophy and starting to research like how software developers do it, um, has helped a lot too. Um, there's a really good extra credits video that's just about it. And it, it's like eight minutes long, but it's a really like high level overview. Um, but I think when you came to the office, I don't know if you saw it, but I have a poster that Travis gave me on the wall about fail faster. And it's a bunch of different. Oh, awesome. I didn't see that. Yeah. And it's a bunch of different quotes from that video, but like one of them is like no idea ever starts out fully formed and none of your it's ideas yes. are precious. And like those two things are really the like <laughs> right. the core of it. Like if if you can accept those two things, you're on the path. Yeah, and I know you know talking about things like when I worked in software development, we talked about things like minimum viable product, right? Like what what can you put out that doesn't have bells and whistles? Which that kind of correlates to what are the core things in your game you could test? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to I, I think the hard part about that is, and it was the same in software. It's the same in game design and and in many other things is minimum viable project product is incredibly subjective, right? Yeah. Like for some people, it's a fully formed game for other people. It's a combat mechanic, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And, uh, um, yeah. So I think determining what that is, is, you know, that's where coming into remembering things like no idea is fully formed and nothing is precious. Those are the things that will absolutely help you, um, stick on track for that. I, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, at this point, I mean, you anybody could tell me that like any part of my game is the stupidest thing they've seen, and I would probably take it out, like without argument. Because I just I don't care about my ideas enough. Like right, right. I think there's always some validity and a good tool, and I'm sure you all talked about this before um, that you can always use and. I, this comes from a little bit of a place of privilege with me because I have a weekly game design group that meets. Um, and, yeah, that is real nice for you. <laughs> and, and I have you know people in the office, so I can do this a little bit easier. Right, almost people. every day, right? Yeah, every day. Um, and but the the thing is though is if somebody you know if you're looking at a piece of your game and you and somebody suggests removing it or that that part's not working for them, remove it and just see if people miss it. Because if the next time right, you play right. it, other than you, right? yeah, other than you. <laughs> um, but if, if nobody says, Oh man, I really wish that drafting mechanic was here. It probably shouldn't have been there. And the thing I think to remind yourself as a, as a designer, if you, if you do feel precious about that, right? Like if you're like, but that mechanic, like I love that mechanic. I've got a couple mechanics that I have put in four or five different games. Some of those games, which have now been published, <laughs> They don't have that mechanic in it. I still never used it in a game, but I will someday, right? Mm-hmm. Because like the mechanic is good and like if I use the mechanic on its own, it's fun. 
Um, but in those games, it was the wrong fit. So yeah. you pull it out and you just you but you can remind yourself that you don't it's not like you have to throw it away and forget that mechanic forever. You know, I mean use it some other time, you know. I mean that's there's nothing wrong with that. So that that combat mechanic in Dead of Winter that I talked about earlier ended up getting stripped out. Um <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, like, so the one thing that that inspired the whole game doesn't exist in the game. Mm-hmm. And and I fought it so hard. I was like, because that was my kernel of the idea. So like, I right, felt like taking right. that out was taking a big chunk of the heart of the game out. Um, but of course, anyone that plays it that wasn't there when you designed it has no idea. Exactly. Um, but to me, it was way too precious. It was this thing that I loved. And it really helped me long term seeing that like once we took it out, the game was better. And I just, I had Wayward come out last year that was just a game focusing on that core mechanic. I was going to ask if you used that mechanic somewhere else, so you did. Cool. Yep, absolutely. And and I'm way happier with Wayward being just about that thing. You know, you know we when we shelve ideas, um, whether it's part of a game or a whole game, when we come back to them, we're better designers. Like, you can't. You, uh, you could be a worse designer, I guess, but it's real hard to be worse at something after you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, no, I mean, unless you're really, like... Unless you're actively being bad. Uh, and an- another another antidote I have um, is about, about removing that, like, core mechanic that you think is central, is that every one of Jill Hova's games that he's designed has, had, has mm-hmm. started with an auction mechanic. And none of them have it in it. Um, and they've all <laughs> started with awesome. the exact same auction mechanic. And last year, or no, two years ago at Gathering of Friends, uh, Jill hosted this event called Ugly Baby Photos, uh, which was where a bunch of designers brought like some of their early designs and played them with each other. But they're like, they're like, are embarrassing designs that we don't talk about, right? Oh, nice. Um, and Jill had brought this game. Um, that had that auction mechanic in it, and I was like, "Jill, you need to like take this auction mechanic and just like laser focus on it. Like this auction mechanic is so different than any other. I've never seen an auction that does what his auction mechanic does." And he was like, "John, it's been in every game. Like I understand what you're saying, but like it just <laughs> never works." And I was like, "But Jill, like really, just make the game about that." Um. And the next day, he came down with this game that was like super focused in on it, and um, it was about you know building building a city and building like high rises in a city. Uh, and that that game was on Kickstarter, and it doesn't have that auction mechanic in it anymore. <laughs> um, that's his. Uh, oh, that's yeah. That's uh, uh, what, is it high rise that he just kickstarted uh, before Rival Networks? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. But it's been in every one of his games. She just he should just do a Kickstarter to sell the rights <laughs> to the auction mechanic. I, I've tempt I've I've been tempted to ask him to let me use it because it's really innovative, but you're like, I will give you a design credit, just let me use it. Yeah, it's it's cursed, I that think. That might be what he needs. <laughs> that but that might be what he needs though, right? He might just, you know, not be able to design to that mechanic for some reason yeah. because well, I mean he sounds like he's pretty close to it because he's used it a lot. Mm. 
Um, but oh my gosh, that is that's hilarious. Yeah. Any so I've got another idea for what we can do here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to. Do you have any other? specific things about this that you want to throw out anecdotes or anything because this I, this has all been really helpful um I, I don't really but i mean i'm happy to talk about whatever yeah well i want to so i want to keep talking about this but i want to try and put it in practice a little yeah. bit so um so i'm going to be super vague about a game because i don't want to give like i'm not like trying to keep my ideas from getting stolen or something that's i'm not that guy but uh but what I want to do is I want to not put too much baggage to the game, sure. right? So this is a game that Neil and I have been trying to work on. And I, oh, yeah. I've literally sat down and wrote most of the rules to it, right? Um, I'm super jazzed about the theme, uh, but I'm not going to talk about the theme because I want to just keep that out of it, right? Um, but what... So the core of the game is something like this. Uh, you've got uh, specialized workers in the game, right? Uh, and at the beginning of the game, you're given some you're given some choices, and you're going to pick some of these workers. And all the workers are different, right? Uh, there'll be a board with a map uh, with different places you can send those workers. And um, in those places they go, there'll be challenges. Um, and when the workers uh, overcome those challenges, sometimes uh, with other people's workers combined, right? then they're going to get certain resources. And you'll know what those resources are kind of based on the area you go to. You'll have some options you're going to get from there. Uh-huh. Then you're going to take those um, You're going to take those uh, uh, resources and things you get, those rewards. You're going to end up buying things to improve your workers, right? And then eventually, when those workers are improved as much as possible, you're going to send them on their merry way, score points for them, and get new workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll never have more than a couple workers at a time. Um, uh, so there's a lot going on here, right? There is the worker placement aspect, uh, which is kind of the core of how the main portion of the game works. Mm-hmm. There is the um, there is the upgrading system, which is fairly complex. There's some different facets. There's basically there's the same number of things you can upgrade on everyone, but there's some going to be some set bonuses. There's some specific requirements where specific workers uh, will need certain things. They'll only be able to have certain things. Um, And each one of those workers is going to do something different for you. They're going to have their own special thing that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, there's the mechanic for actually scoring victory points, which is when you make those workers be the best they can be and send them off out of the game, essentially, to never be used again. Um, so So that's what Neil and I are working on. And it's like the game is like, just bathed in theme, which is why I'm actually not telling you about the theme because I want to like keep it more agnostic. So it's just kind of, you know, a set of mechanics and kind of keeping with the core of testing something small. So if I'm, if I'm taking the things that I've heard you say tonight, and this is the part where you can tell me whether or not I'm on the right track. Mm -hmm. I feel like the best thing I can do is lay out a board or not even a board, but lay out areas uh, where I can put workers uh, and see as a start, how does that mechanic work of workers going out, collecting resources? Um, see, but okay. But then I think, but but the upgrade system really is more of the core. So maybe that's what's, see, so this is what happens, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but it, it doesn't hurt to do like, because those systems are interconnected, do all of them minimally. 
like you don't need all the different resources. You know, start out with like two resources and a couple upgrades and just test those things together. Because you're right, like if you just tested the worker placement system and if it's really kind of a standard worker placement system without much difference, like you're not gonna get yeah. a lot out of that. Yeah, and you know, my if this game gets published, people aren't gonna be like, whoa, the worker placement system is, is revolutionary, right? No, they're they're gonna be like, Oh, that wasn't enjoyable. Right. Um, I think that the upgrading mechanic is going to be kind of the core of what people will be like, Oh, this is fun and interesting to be able to do it this way. Yeah. So um and the idea that you're upgrading someone and then getting rid of them and trying to decide when do I want to get rid of them. <laughs> So, so it sounds it it does sound to me like that is your that's your core experience, right? And and that's another thing that I talked about a lot. Like, I, I'm probably not the first person to say it, but I hear a lot of people say it now um, because uh, every panel I'm in, people ask the designers like, "Are you mechanics first or theme first? And and I I'm an experience first designer. Um, yes, I always yes. try to like think exactly what am I trying to get the players to experience? And yes, that is mm-hmm. kind of theme, but it's not just theme. But it's also mechanics. No, I that John is that is a really good way to say that because I when somebody says theme or mechanics, when I was a new designer, I would say theme, definitely theme. Mm-hmm. But then I would realize that my theme so impacted my mechanics that it was it was kind of mechanics mm-hmm. sometimes you know and but experience that's what it is right it's the idea that like i'm focused on how do the how are the players going to feel when they play this game what's that going to be like you know what's the experience like so and, and if it's, that's a really good way to put if that if the experience is done right like it's almost impossible to retheme it and but a game that right. uh, and and that's hard to differentiate from a game that is highly thematic and hard to separate like the theme from the like it's experiential mm-hmm. like the theme and mechanics are married to a higher level to me and those, those are the best games and I, and I think like I right. think your upgrade system here is the experience right like that's that's the thing you're trying to get the players to really like get into so- yeah because I, I I think the feeling I want them to have is this push and pull of when I upgrade this worker to be amazing they're gonna be really useful to have. But I can't win the game if I just keep the same two awesome workers for the whole game because I'm not going to earn any points. So to me, like, if it, if it was me designing this, I would have like ten different upgrades or whatever. Um, that way, there's a little bit of granularity when I upgrade versus when you upgrade. And if I have three workers, like I want those three workers to feel a little bit different when I upgrade them. If that's the experience that you're trying to go for. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going for. And, yes, yes, and then I would put as little work into that worker placement part as possible. Like I would, yeah. I would just do a sheet of paper with like squares drawn on it. Like I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's very much how like Wonderland's War started. It was just us like throwing the the most basic stuff on there because um, the game as it is now is very different than when uh, all four of us started on it. Um, but we had this ambitious idea of creating a game that was two different games. It was a worker placement game that at the halfway point flipped into a war game. Oh, nice, nice. And it used it used everything you did in the worker placement game as your basis for the war game. Um, yep. But yep. it was a really good experience because we were like, all right, well, this is a 45-minute worker placement game. How do we get somebody to do that and still make it fun? So, like, 
we just started like doing the purest, simplest word replacement stuff that we could. And then same with the other half. Right. Um, but I think, I think that's where you go is you just, you focus on that upgrade system and then do as little work on the other parts of the game as you have to right now. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's, you know, I was just talking through that now that makes me be like, Oh yeah. Right. Because I can forget about, like the points, the victory points part literally doesn't matter for playtesting because doesn't matter at all. It's wanting to see how people react with the the workers that they're upgrading, um, and how the interaction with that goes. And yeah, I want it's one of those things where I w- want the upgrades to feel super unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this all came out of playing another game where you were doing something a little similar. Um, but like, I kept being like, gosh, I want to do this, 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 and this, and I want to do that and that, and then realizing that's a different game. (laughs) That's a whole different (laughs) game you're designing. Maybe just design that game. And so I brought it back to Neil and he was like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited for this game already because I like, I I like the ideas (laughs) that you're talking about. Well, afterwards, I'll, I'll actually tell you about the theme and stuff and you'll get more ideas. But again, once I tell you the theme, it's, Things will make sense. It kind of it will, and it just will, and it also it just it's like the theme has. I started with mechanics on this only be, like again because I was like, this is the game I'm playing. I like this game, but the theme like the theme is cool, but it's kind of boring. And mm-hmm. like, there's so much more you could do with this. And I was like, you could turn this on its head. And so yeah, but because it's so intertwined with the theme, like. I didn't think we could have a good discussion around it without you being like, oh, well, this and that, right? Because I just, I know how our brains work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and if the scoring is important, like just put the laziest scoring you can on it. It'd be like, just, just do triangular scoring per meeple based on the number of upgrades or whatever. Right, right. Yep. Um yep. just so people have something there. Like it it shouldn't need to be there, but you'll have players that want it. Right. Right. Yeah, no, and that that makes sense. And um and then so here, here's a question. So you've worked on some games that have had some unique um unique components to them, right? <laughs> like so the way I see you upgrading workers would 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 have a physicality to it, right? Like it would be um, you know, so like putting pieces in that, that had different shapes and things like that as you upgraded them, right. To really like make it feel unique as you upgraded each worker, right? Like I'm not talking like I'm just upgrading a meeple, like I'm upgrading something to where I feel like this is changing and this is looking cool and this is grabbing my attention. Mm -hmm. So, and I know you've had games that have had things like that going on. So at what point in the design process for you, does that become important because in my mind just let me say where i'm at and then tell me why i'm wrong uh like that is important like if i'm showing something to a publisher and i want to say look at what this does Mm -hmm. this isn't just simple upgrading there's some stuff to it that's going to really grab people's attention it's going to have a table presence like at what point does that become important to you as a designer um i I would say probably halfway through okay um so like the game's working yeah and then and then i start worrying about table presence i mean sometimes those things are the core but unfortunately like well it's tied to the experience right yeah and if it if it's heavily tied to the experience then you 
you do them as as early as you can because you want right. that piece. And I, I look at the stuff that Julio designs, and like he's on a different level than I am. Um, he's on a different level than everyone is, just to be fair. Yeah. Um, and and I can't design like he does, but I mean, I've had a few things that started out with like, well, this is the cool Jimmy T part, and then let's go from there. But again, I mean, you just start like, right. I mean, we've played some of Julio's games and like you start with that and, and like, I've talked to him over the last couple of years as he's like grown as a designer and like, he was pitching these games in this very rough form, which is fine, but like taking them and developing them is the hard part. But yeah, I think, I think if it, yeah, if it has yeah. that physicality, if it, if it feels like it's important to the experience, then that should be a thing you focus on relatively early. Okay. Okay. See, and that's so, I mean, you can kind of see right where like there's all these different factors and then I'm like, well, should I focus on this or this, you know? And, um, you know, I'm you like when you in your office, right, you've got Ian there and Sarah there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, pretty much daily, the three of you are there and all of you are experienced game designers to where if you, if you say I've got a combat mechanic and no theme, for instance, right. They can say, all right, let's test that. Right. Yeah. Um, but when I'm testing with a lot of times the, the play testers that I've got, if I just say, let's push these, this cardboard around and see what happens. They're like, I don't get it. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't resonate with them. So, you know, that has made it difficult for me to be able to say like, you know, that's, that's where like, I see a table presence as I, I like seeing that click for them. But I need also need to get out of the fact that like you don't have to make a beautiful prototype on the first try, oh, yeah. right? I, I my prototypes don't even like halfway decent until like sixty or seventy percent through. Like they good are, to know they are just wireframed out. I need as, to get more away from that. Yeah. Um, and I th- I think tools like Card Maker really help me do that because I iterate so fast with them that. I just don't ever fall down that rabbit hole of making something look good. Right. And I need to, Isaac is going to teach me how to use card maker. Um, and I want to do that because I like, he whipped up, um, fairy village, the game we're working on together. Um, he whipped up, up the prototype for that in no time. And it looks better than most of my prototypes that would have taken me five times as long. Oh yeah. And he's like, Oh, we'll just do this and do this. And I was like, I hate you. Like, that's so <laughs> like, come on, man. Um, so he was like, well, I'll teach you how to do it. And we just haven't done it yet, but I'm excited about that because I do want to be able to iterate faster on things. Right. You know, I, um, especially when it comes to, um, not having as many play tests as available. Right. I want to make sure that that next version I get is understandable to the players, but didn't take me forever so that I can bring two or three different games. We can play through them. I can take that feedback and then work on those, you know, um, because just because again, I don't have the ability to test daily yeah. or to test, you know, um, even multiple times in there. So, but also, I mean, there's a there's a thing that software developers do called rubber ducking. Um, yes, yep, I'm very familiar. Yeah, yeah, and and it doesn't hurt to like in those early stages do that. Like I I will sit down and put a thing on paper and move those bits around myself. Um, Again, you lose a little bit of that uh, editorial process because there's not another player there. But even like I've had a lot of success, like if I'm working on something and there's nobody else around, just posting on Twitter or Facebook or something. Like, hey, I've got this idea. Does somebody have like 10 minutes to like Skype and watch me play this and discuss it? Right. Like, right. Don't don't let that no, lack good. of people around yep. you hinder you. 
and that so that's been useful for me with working with uh so i've been co-designing of late uh with four other people um neil prime neil's the main person i've been designing with um banana chan um isaac shalev and ken franklin um and any of them i can call and say hey I've got this stupid idea. And usually if it's like a random idea, I start with Neil because he's, he, as he says, I love bad ideas. Um, so, <laughs> so we'll like, let's talk about this. And so, um, and he'll be able to say, well, what about this? Or what about that? You know? And, um, sometimes for me, just being able to say it out loud to another person is enough. Uh-huh. Um, but I also, I'll, I'll talk to myself. I mean, I'm not too proud to say I work by myself uh, at home during the day. So I will just, start talking and you know, I'll just talk out loud. Like, let me explain <laughs> this out loud, say the words and then think, Oh wait, no, that sounds weird when I have to say it and not type that, Yeah, you know? And so, but that's, um, but that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why I couldn't, I know that if I posted on Facebook or Twitter, I could get someone that would be like, yeah, I've got 10 minutes to watch you push this cardboard around and see what it does. Yeah. And so, I mean, add, yeah. add me to that list. I'm always happy to talk about weird ideas. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I really need to start trying to come down once every other month or so to visit you all and play some games because um, it would just be a nice break to, you know, playtesting not with, you know, like being able to playtest with you all and being able to help you out by being a fresh set of eyes on things. And yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so much closer than I feel that I used to think <laughs> you were. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not impossible. And how far is Toledo for you? I don't remember. Toledo is far. Oh, right. Toledo's yeah. like two plus hours. Yeah. Your place is easier to get to. No, because you've got that game night. And uh, there is a game designers of Grand Rapids that I've heard is really good. Um, I just have never been able to get there. They just, every time they happen to have a meeting, it's not. And Grand Rapids is only about 45 minutes for me. Um, so, but Ken Franklin hosts uh, game days at his house once a month. And um, he's, he's, because he designs, he's got a lot of people who, there who are used to playing um, decently polished, uh, prototypes, but not like super, you know, ready to go ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a group of people there that have been really helpful for me, um, in doing play tests, uh, w- with the banana chan stuff that I work on. They're the best audience for that. Cause her and I have mostly done party games and social deduction stuff. And, and they're the type of audience that just eats that. Oh that, yeah. So, that's awesome. You know, that's been, so that's been really helpful. They'll play the same game like three times because they enjoy it so much and, and can give really good constructive feedback on it. So awesome. Well, hey, we are we are right about out of time here. Um so thank you again for uh all these ideas and talking through this stuff. This was super helpful. This more than achieved what I was hoping it would. And hopefully oh, awesome. I know there I know there are listeners out there with the same issues. So I'm sure this was enlightening to them as well. Um, is there anything you want to plug? I know you've got some Kickstarters coming up here, oh. at least one that I know of for sure. Oh, let me think. Because um, Wonderland's War is coming up. Uh, yeah, it's coming up February real soon. eleventh. Yep. I think. I was just I saw a thing that was posted about that today. Yeah, uh, Wonderland's War is coming up. What else do I have coming out this year? It's it's weird because um, as I got more involved with Pandasaurus, I kind of dialed back my design times and it, it like two years two or three years ago i think i was having like five designs a year coming out and now going right right like this year i'm like oh god what's coming out um i don't have anything um well gosh when i last time i came and saw you almost everything we were doing was just stuff you were developing yeah. not you know actually designing so 
Um, Except for that, did something happen with that one game that we played there? Yes. Uh, yeah, um, we can talk about Sarah that after. Were working on? Yeah. Cool. But it did move on and such? Yeah. Yep. That will hopefully cool. be out Very later cool. this year. Um, awesome. We're still trying to finalize cool. a few of the things. But um, yeah, so Wonderland's War will be on Kickstarter soon. Um, I think they, I don't think they've officially announced it, but it's been teased that we're do, we're finally doing a Vault Wars expansion. Um, oh, nice. Which was my second game that ever got published. Um, right, right. I, I was one of the early playtesters for that with you at Grand Con the first time we you met. You were. That was, yeah, that was one of the first times we met. And you yeah. played the, yeah. the yep. real, that was one of my, I think one of my, like maybe three games that I've designed where it got rethemed. Oh, yeah, because yeah. you played the real world theme. And after we played it, I think you were one of the ones that mentioned like the theme wasn't exciting. Right, right. And I, yeah, and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, so. I'll do a fantasy theme. That's great. And then I went and pitched it yeah, to which Floodgate. Is, yeah, because <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? Because it's a different take on the fantasy theme. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that'll be coming out soon. We have a bunch of kids. Uh, we've been so busy with Kids on Bites lately that we've been doing tons of stuff for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just follow me on social media, I guess. And I usually, I don't try to spam my projects on there, but I post about them at once when they come out, at least. No, in fact, it's funny because I like like for instance, Wonderland's War. I've heard about that from James, uh, from Ian, but not from you. <laughs> so I, I have a pretty. St- they're the ones constantly posting about it. <laughs> I, I have a pretty strict like limit to what I will post about my projects. Usually, if it's a Kickstarter, yeah. I'll no, post I once too, when it yeah. launches and then once at forty eight hours. And that's that's right, pretty right. much. It. I, I'm not that controlled, yeah. but I. I do try to keep it to to a reasonable level. I mean, I hope it doesn't come off as me not being excited about the projects because I'm super excited about the projects. But right, but no, you don't want to you don't want to inundate people. Yeah, I don't want to spend that's all fair. that social. That's cash. totally fair. Cool. Well, hey man, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for, so much for uh, having being me. on here. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Any and, anytime, um, I'm happy to yeah. do that. Awesome. Appreciate it. So, and you on Twitter are at, at John, John Gilmore. J O N G I L M O U R. Awesome. So, cool. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this discussion tonight. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com, email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 770 Tell BTG. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at podcastbtg. I am at J A Slingerland. Uh, find us on Facebook, uh, all the uh, podcasting places. So uh, with that, uh, good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Dial 770-TELL-BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>